So I said, what about Breakfast at Tiffany's? And she said, I think I remember the film. And as I recall, I think you both kind of liked it. Yeah, yeah. And, and I said, well, that's the one thing we've got. But she just kept banging on about me shagging her sister. <laughs> Women. Oh, hi, didn't see you there. This is Everyone Dies in Sunderland, a podcast about growing up terrified in the 80s and 90s. Every week, we take a trip back to the year of our Northeast childhoods and in particular, take a closer look at one of the notorious local crimes which took place while we were enjoying the music of Dario G. With me, as always, is the former DVD review of The Sun. It's the newspaper, not the celestial body, Mr. Gareth Alexander. Hello, and that voice you just heard there... He's best known for coaching an under-nines cricket team. And I'll be honest, I think we're scraping the bottom of the barrel with this. It's John Hart. Yes. Do you want to hear my pre-match team talk? Totally. I'm in. So you, you little cunt, want to tell you to do something. And you, you fucking big cunt, want to tell you to do something. Do it. And if you come back at me, we'll have a fucking right sort out of him. All right? And you can pair up if you like. And you can fucking pick someone else to help you. And you can bring your fucking dinner. Because by the time I'm finished with you, you'll fucking need it. Do you fucking hear what I'm saying or not? Uh, not really. That was uh, John Sitton in the early 90s Channel 4 documentary Football Club for a Fiver. What I really said was, we're not here to win. We're here to have fun. It's what the coaches of the losing teams are saying to their teams now. And that's why we're going to win. <laughs> And I also figured probably, hey, you were too young to have seen the replacements. So I just copied that bit Keanu Reeves says. Pain heels, cheeks, cheeks, scars, glory, last forever. Currently it's played nine, lost nine, but it's not like they've given me a bunch of key stage one Brian Lara's. <laughs> one of my guys rides his bat between the stumps as if it were a broomstick. <laughs> Still, it could be worse. It could be... 10 for 10. By half past six next Tuesday, it will be. I'm not saying I'm taking it too seriously, but after the match, I do have to go home and obsessively clean the kitchen to calm down, <laughs> which is exactly what Bill Shankly does in David Peace's Red or Dead. The, the good news is we have been invited to play a very lucrative tour to racially segregated audiences in South Africa. <laughs> that, that's a callback to what, I don't know, 10 episodes? I don't know. Yeah. I it's such a long callback. It's it's pretty much lost on me, to be honest. Uh, anyway, with us as always is the woman whose best contribution to the group chat this week was, and I quote, I've been alone so long, I don't think my ovaries work. Claire Robinson. Thanks, John. The world needed to know that information. Yeah, Claire, did you ever find 20 quid inside your crisps? I didn't know where you were going to ask where I found 20 quid then. <laughs> I mean, as part of the legendary late 90s Walker's promotion, not a lucrative industrial mishap. No, I never, ever win anything. I'm one of them unlucky fuckers who just like eats the crisps and has to be happy with it. You should join my cricket team. Gareth, did you <laughs> ever win 20 quid in Walker's? No, I think I got a few of those sachets before, but they were always just for more crisps. And just being pretty salt. much... An... You misunderstood <laughs> what you were eating. <laughs> yes. <laughs> being quite oh. an obese child. No um, one ever won. It's an absolute racket. It's like a carbohydrate running man. This is the last show in our first series. So we're uh, going to go on our summer holidays after this and come back in September with new stories about the holiday romances we definitely had. Because it's the last day of term, we've all got board games in for the second half of the show as well. 
So what have you brought in? And remember, let me raise this in the group chat. Gareth immediately said he was too busy to come up with something as slight as, ooh, mousetrap, who remembers mousetrap? Because he was too busy criticising some work I did. <laughs> That's the nature of, of our relationship, John. I'm constantly criticising this podcast, so I might as well continue it into our real lives. We are the 10th ranked true crime podcast in the UK. Don't you ever forget it. I love the caveats to that. We are the 10th ranked podcast. We are the 10th ranked true crime podcast. We are the 10th ranked true crime podcast in the UK. We are the 10th ranked true crime podcast in the UK about regionally specific murders. We are the no, not 10th just ranked... Out of all of them. And out of all what? of them, there's 60. Yeah. Wow. There are, there are 50 podcasts worse than this. Can you imagine? Bloody Ooh. hell. So what games have you bought him? Sucks to be you. Um... <laughs> Well, that's a game. <laughs> that sucks to be you. <laughs> Maybe in your school. <laughs> it reminds me, uh, Constance Pretty Ellie Kemper impersonator once said, oh, you know that game you used to play at school where you had to take turns touching various parts of your bodies. It was called Nervous, and you had to like, touch them and go, Nervous? Like, yeah, we called that something different in my school. We called it Sexually Aggravated Assault. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I've bought in Guess Who? Okay. Yeah. I don't know if you played it recently. Uh, if you're like me, you try to avoid using ethnicity as an identifier. It's, it's a much harder game. It's just, is it Claude? I don't know. Nothing makes him stand out. I like one of my favourite ways to play Guess Who is to not describe the other person, but to sort of give an impression about their character. For example, they are not the type of person who would put little shopping trolleys in the big shopping trolleys and cause a kerfuffle at the shopping trolley station. Or they are the kind of person who would probably look a bit fidgety on the subway if an ethnic minority came on. You're right. We don't know what pronouns any of them choose to use, do we? Like, that's true is it a man like I, I wouldn't like to make assumptions do you want to hear my david peace parody by the way i don't think we've got a choice have we no we're a trapped captive audience <laughs> go do yourselves a favor guys switch us off go and listen to any one of those other 50 podcasts below <laughs> us come back to us when you're done he might have been quiet by then he wanted crisps in his mouth crisps walkers golden wonder discos space raiders Knickknacks, chipsticks, scampy fries, crisps in his mouth, in his head, crisps, salty like tears, salty like blood, crisps, walkers, golden wonder, discos, space raiders, knickknacks, chipsticks in his mouth, crisps. Can I have some of your crisps? He asked. <laughs> Are you trying to get us some sort of deal with walkers now? Because I think that initially suggesting that they were a racket is going about it a bit the wrong way. No, I just like doing that David Peace parody about crisps. It's a very breathy, slightly sexual situation. Are your ovaries working again now? My ovaries are working great, mate. So, right, this week's story is all about furniture. It got me thinking about items of furniture and in particular household objects that we grew up with that you don't really see anymore. You wouldn't have thought that like furniture would go out of fashion or household items. And I believe, Claire, you've also thought of some. Yes, I have. I have a little list. <laughs> list. <laughs> what is it with you and making lists? Oh, we're not doing the news of the week now, so I'm going to make another different list. I like lists. Lists make me happy. What's, what's number 10 on the list? Because my understanding is that's the best one. 
<laughs> I didn't make it to number 10. Let's hope people are reading that list of the best UK true crime podcasts to make it to number 10. <laughs> do we have to do the pick of the pops music then, Claire? No. Do, 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 do. It's no 10. Do, 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 do. I've only got five items. <laughs> it's not a list. It is a list. There is bullet points next to each item. Therefore, it is a list. Coming in at number five is... Well, it's probably not a household item, but to me it's a household item because it was in a household that I was in. The Sony Weibo, the robot dog that no one ever really had but that roamed around your house randomly. <laughs> you had a robot dog walking around your house. Yeah. So does no one else remember the Weibo? It was a little like me, 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 me. It was like the original Roomba, but it actually didn't serve a purpose at all. <laughs> yeah. Regular listeners will know that your dogs weren't allowed in the house. So you say that not only did you not let your dogs in the house, you also had a you had a right to, to, to troll them. You had a robot dog yeah. in the house. Yeah. It's all right, John. The first time the batteries died, she didn't bother replacing them, so that was another dead dog she's got on a conscience. <laughs> it's time to put it down. It's made of plastic. God rest its tiny soul. Gareth, I was briefly on Facebook as part of preparation for the show this week. Did you actually have a birthday party for your dog? No, no. <laughs> yeah, you did. My wife, my wife bought him a birthday cake from a woman on the other side of the peninsula who makes dog treats. So that was it. It wasn't a full-blown birthday party. Did he have candles and did you sing? There was one candle we didn't sing. Therefore, it was a birthday party. It was not a... Nobody was invited. It wasn't a birthday party. No one came. It's a difference. (laughs) Sounds like my birthday parties. Right, number five. I was going to make dogs. an incredibly inappropriate comment then, and I didn't. So, <laughs> well done, Gareth. I appreciate my restraint. Who had robot dogs? Probably like one percent of the listeners. And let's be honest, we were top ten, so the percentage, yeah. But if they're our age, they've grown up looking through the Argos catalogue like we have, yeah. and have seen the robot dog, so they know what you're talking about. They know what I'm on about. It's a thing. In at number four is the Sega Dreamcast because it was a piece of useless fucking technology that everyone randomly had and then just burnt out in a in a massive stupor. So yeah, God rest the Dreamcast. I was a Nintendo fan, so I had the um, the GameCube, which pretty much served the same purpose. Yeah. So. Yeah. I was going to uh, actually recommend a podcast. Actually, this point is a good point, but I've forgotten what it's called. Wait there while I get my phone and continue with number three, Claire. So at number one, hang on, five, four. At number three. <laughs> you've got you've got a list of five and you're already confused as where you are in it. Yes, I am. Oh, at, at number three, we have, do you remember those stupid table, not a table warmer, but they're like a plate warmer that your mum used to have and you'd put the little tea light candles in it and then you'd put the plates on it and you'd get your order your Chinese takeaway and then you'd all sit around it'd be like some weird like restaurant situation and you'd and then eventually yeah weird as fuck why did we have them for what was the purpose I'm sorry I didn't realize that we had shifted away from our true crime podcast roots and are now going to Peter K podcast (laughs) roots Uh, do you remember 
but you don't listen like that's that's pretty much what we do yeah true true i don't listen i don't that's probably why we're at number 10 and not number nine because i don't listen the podcast is called maximum power up and it was recommended to me by my friend ben um, because episode 40 is about games master magazine and the launch of games master magazine and they got everyone there andy Lowe, bins les ellis uh, for those of us who were very much into games master magazine that's a really good podcast to listen to during our summer holidays if you want to hear about what it was like um, working on the early days of games master magazine there's a particularly good story about uh, how competitive they got about street fighter 2 andy Lowe was only allowed to play as dorsim if he played one-handed and he still won most of the time it's a great podcast can I recommend a podcast then? Whatever mm-hmm. happened to the pizza at McDonald's? That's a good podcast. McDonald's used to do pizza? In America, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And this podcast is about whatever happened to the pizza at McDonald's. In fact, some McDonald's, spoiler alert for episode like four, still do do the pizza. Really? Mm. Yes, I do remember those, Claire. And, and the, my principal recollection one is a very similar sort of technology. Yeah. Also, from that subgenre, racklets. What are they even for? Like, I've seen them in the middle of little, but I'm like, what is it for? What's its purpose? Is it just to melt cheese? Yeah. Is that what it's for? Just to melt cheese? Yeah. It's just, if you want an entire electrical appliance, it's just like, would you like to just take the food you were going to have, put some cheese on it, grill it briefly in front of you, like a fondue, but a drier fondue, and then that's a racklet. Is it definitely a raclette and not a raclette named after the cheese raclette? We didn't all go to Hatfield. <laughs> I'm going to have to Google it now. I'm pretty certain I'm wrong. I'm going to take this out. Raclette? 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 It's, uh, right. Yeah, no, it's a, swi- it's a swish. Yeah, it's, it's the dish and the cheese. Specifically, the cheese is used, marketed to use in the, the thing. Uh, we uh, just used cheddar. We you were, commoner. We, we, we used Dairy Lee singles when we were growing <laughs> up. Do you remember Dairy Lee singles? So good. Why were they triangles? <laughs> Why were they? Remember Roller Caller? <laughs> you just realised what a show you're on. <laughs> like, if there was a word to describe really niche nostalgia, that would be our word. What's, what's the number two 90s cream cheese was Primula, straight from Gateshead. Come on, let's show some regional pride. Primula's just not the one, though. It's like, do you know when you wake up in the morning and you're slightly half asleep and you feel like you're squirting it, but it's like, it's not toothpaste, it's cheese. Like, oh. it just leads to errors. I wondered where you were going with that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's been far too much talk <laughs> of Claire's reprint. We've all tried to brush our teeth with cream cheese at some point. So, in at number two... <laughs> is a tagine. Why, again, food things, why would you use a tagine? Just get a normal dish. You don't need the thing with the pointy thing at the top that the steam come out. Just use a Pyrex dish, put it in the oven, be done with life. What is the point of it? You two are philistines. Oh, why do you need a fork? Just stab it with the knife and eat it off the end of the knife. No, but I, no, why? So, I'm a bowl eater. I don't believe in plates. And I don't believe in forks. Everyone should be able to eat and live sustainably with a bowl and a spoon. How do you eat a pizza with a bowl and a spoon? You just pick up the pizza and stuff it in your face. You don't need, you don't need utensils. You don't need any cutting equipment. You just well, eat I think, it. I think 
I think that part of the problem is you just call them use stencils. Right. Use stencils. Only Reg Wilson uses stencils on this. <laughs> right, Claire. What's number one? A frying pan. I think you could just put it in a bowl and put it in the microwave. In at number one, we have drum roll, please. DVD player, because it's the most useless piece of technology that I have in my house right now, because I don't use it because we stream everything and it's unnecessary. Might as well use DVDs as some sort of like target practice device. It's just not, doesn't serve a purpose. Is, yeah, but is useless the same as obsolete? Because I get that the dog is useless because it is, it, yeah. it, there is no use to it. Even as a toy, it's wanting. But at some point, a DVD player did serve a purpose. Okay, I'm not going to argue against that. However, they're now useless. I should have said earlier, the note I've said here and haven't passed on to you is not obsolete stuff like a VHS recorder or an AM, FM radio playing BBC Newcastle, for example. Oh, Claire, you've got, got to do better than number one then. And then I've put, in case you're wondering how BBC Local Radio is getting on, the Danish team have linked arms around it to preserve its dignity. You just wanted that joke to be in the podcast, didn't you? <laughs> Let's face it. Uh, I only had uh, hostess trolleys, very similar to Claire. My God, I'm having to walk two or three metres to bring leftovers to the table. Far more sensible to install a small-scale food truck in my house. Gently eating botulism, but taking up as much room as a sofa. You say that, John, but they're coming back into fashion now. Genuinely. Mm. I've seen a lot of people, usually for drinks rather than for food. Not to keep your drinks warm. He's on about their hostess trolleys that had the heaters within them. Right, okay. Yes, no, those aren't coming back into fashion. A wheeled oven that yes, okay. would bring in for Sunday dinner. I see. Did anyone else's mum also think that a yoghurt maker would be a good idea? I've got a yoghurt maker. Okay. Yeah. And it's not... It? I make yoghurt with it. <laughs> it's not redundant. It's not? No, it's not redundant. I also buy yoghurt, but sometimes I'm feeling fancy. I'm like, oh, I'm going to make my own yoghurt today. Do you ever buy some yoghurt, put the yoghurt in the yoghurt maker, and then feel really smug like you've made that yoghurt? That's no. what I would do. That's not the extreme that I've stooped to yet. What would happen if you put yogurt in a yogurt maker? It would make more yogurt if you add the culture and then you add some additional. Um, I added the culture when I did the David Peace parody. Hey. hey! Well done. Do you ever make <laughs> yogurt and then you get a, like a mother corner? <laughs> Other corners are available and like put your yogurt in it, get a pretty stick, re glue it, serve it to people, and be like, was that indistinguishable <laughs> from a yogurt? It should be done as a taste test. You mm. know the most satisfying thing about opening them, though? You know when you open it and you manage to get it and it's completely sealed on the top and it's, like, completely oh, clear? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's happened twice in my life and it was the most epic moments I've ever had in my existence. Do you ever put water rather than milk in your yogurt maker and make, I can't believe it's not yogurt? <laughs> no. <laughs> Have you ever invented a new sort of Muller Corner like Dina Asher-Smith has for her parents, apparently? I feel like this is going down a really weird pathway, but no. Yeah, but Claire, we'll be number one in the fucking yoghurt podcast. Oh, I know. Fuck that shit. We're there. They walk among us. They've got no yoghurt chat at no. all. 
Can I ask a serious question though? Because this is something that has been spiraling around in my friendship and work groups this week. Right. When you guys make a sandwich, mm-hmm. do you butter one slice, two slices, or no slices of bread when you put a filling in it? But what's the filling? So let's say ham and cheese sandwich. As a vegan, this is not something that comes up with any great regularity. Okay, I would say that if I've got some other sort of lubrication mm-hmm. in the sandwich, e.g. ketchup, horseradish, mustard, mayonnaise, mm. I would never put any butter in it. Equally, if I were to butter any slice of bread, I would always try to find another source of lubrication. For example, your ham and cheese sandwich, I'll pop some chutney in it. Oh, no. no. Bit of Branston pickle. No. Before no. I buttered bread. No. Butter. The only time I have butter and bread is when I'm having bread and butter. Wow. Everyone's mm. weird. No. Double butter. You've got to put butter on this one, butter on this one, and it doesn't matter what is in between, there will always Ma- be butter on each slice uh, of bread. Makes it all too greasy. This is a quick uh, sidetrack. Um, <laughs> you think he's bad now. I had disagreement, I think argument's a bit unfair, with my ex-girlfriend, the meth smoker, <laughs> uh, about whether or not if you're making a cream cheese sandwich, you would put butter in, which I was appalled by because as this guy was hinting at like, no, because the, the cream cheese is, is the lubricant. So putting, putting butter in there is absurd. And I was so angry about this. This is in the days where I used to interview cool indie bands all the time uh, for about two years I asked every band or musician I interviewed that two-year period whether they would do the same just so I could come back to her and be like Cooper Temple Claws they don't put butter in their cream cheese sandwich <laughs> did you compile a dossier John because I feel like that's something I would have done and then I could be I could just pull something out at any point even if it was an argument about something entirely redundant like the colour of the wallpaper and go yes but Gorky's zygotic monkey agree with me I believe the entire canon of moderately successful guitar music of that period was in agreement with me, although uh, Kaz, the drummer from Seafood, did ask the question, uh, what bread is it? Because if it was particularly crusty bread, I might think that margarine would be some necessary on some occasions. I liked her a lot. I would have then gone on to ask her, what type of seafood are you? I'm sure someone asked that all the time. But not in the sort of the petty way that she asked about the bread. I asked them in, in one of my more fanboy moments why they weren't successful. <laughs> and they just got sad. <laughs> it's true, though. Really, really good band. The lead singer, David, is a winemaker, an award-winning winemaker now, in terms of what are, what are people from that era who were in cool indie bands up to now. Wow. And, you know, you should go on any of your spoon platforms and check out uh, When Do We Start Fighting by Seafood. It's a great album. Anyway, it's a very circuitous route to uh, saying that when everyone else was tucking into the contents of the hostess trolley like Angel Delight and Sarah Lee Gatto, or even the iconic cowboy fort with Capri's Finger Wars from the Sainsbury's Cape book. Why would they be in the hostess trolley if, we're, that, if we've already established it's an oven? Why is Sarah Lee Gatto and Angel Delight in a hot thing? 
It would make much more sense, John. All I'm saying is if your definition of a hostess trolley was the same as mine. To be fair, though, the Sarah Lee chocolate gato used to buy frozen, so you used to have to warm it up a little bit to make it edible, and you never get it out at the right time, so you always have to warm it up in an oven. It was always better frozen, and I bet that you would argue that just because it's got some sort of cake component, you had to warm up an Arctic roll. Oh, God, no. Arctic roll, frozen every time. Frozen profiteroles. No, I would eat a frozen roulade, but I would draw the line at a frozen profiterole. The cream needs to be a nice consistency of squishy. You know, you were asking about um, future guests for for podcasts, John. Uh, I suggest Jay (laughs) Rayner. Anyway, it's a path just to childhood sadness when everyone else was having Viennetta. I was having something called grapes in yogurt, a self-explanatory dessert, I believe, to be exclusive to my childhood. Grapes in yogurt. And Claire's adulthood by the sounds of things. Yeah, that's that's a sustainable way of my life. A sustainable way of my life? That's not even a sentence, but you know what I mean. If you add half a bag of sugar, the yogurt was almost palatable. <laughs> That's going to be the first show back after the break. This is Everyone Dies in Sutherland, a podcast mostly about yoghurt. <laughs> <laughs> Those nine podcasts don't know what's going to hit them. Nope. <laughs> On July the 8th, 1998, Stephen Sweeney didn't come home from work. Maybe this wasn't unusual. His business, Cascade Upholstery, a furniture factory, had been struggling lately. So it's to be expected that he was working every hour he could to keep the factory open and keep his staff in jobs. But he wasn't answering his phone. And when it got to nearly nine o'clock, his partner put their daughter in the car and went to check on him at the office on an industrial estate in Gateshead. And when they got there, they found him shot dead at his desk. To this day, the murder remains unsolved. But about half a dozen other crimes have been solved during the investigation. But first, because we've already done 1998, we're going to do things a little differently and ask the question, 1998 correspondent Claire Robinson... What was scaring you in 1998? In 1998, the biggest things that were scaring me were going to second... list. I've got a list. I've always got a list because I need my list. Going to secondary school absolutely terrified me. And I cried on my first day because I realised that my parents had split me from my best friend. My Furby terrified me as well because it used to it used to wake up in the middle of the night and start talking at me and because it was slowly learning English it was very creepy to the point that I've had to remove the batteries I still have it in my kitchen to this day but it has no batteries in it because it still freaks me out went the same way as your robot dog then all right yeah Yeah. like it's alive but it's got no innards we had a, a walker for our children sort of a little a kind of plastic triangle on wheels to help them when they were learning to walk, just push up and down. And that obviously had lots of light up buttons. And there is nothing scarier than when that suddenly activates in the middle of the night when its batteries are running low. So you wake up and something in your house is going, hello, baby. (laughs) In your adulthood, it was terrifying the shit out of you. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I threw it in the skip this week. Ha! Jokes on you, (laughs) beloved childhood talk. Other things from 1998 that were terrifying me. So this is probably very nation specific to my childhood and my upbringing. The house that we lived in, it was stone built, but it had like a liner and rats and mice used to get up into the loft. And then during the night, they would make their way down the side of the wall and they would fall. 
down the side of my bedroom. It was always my bedroom. It was no one else's bedroom. There must have been a hollow there. And I used to hear them on a night scratching and trying to break through the wall. It terrified me constantly to the point I used to have to wake my dad up and get him to come and bang on the wall and try and drive them away. Awful, because he used to wake up in like hot sweats thinking something was trying to eat me, even though I always knew it was a rat or a mouse in the wall. It always made me worry that something was going to crawl through and eat me alive. You fell through those hay bales and landed in the kingdom of the mice and rats. Yeah. They thought you were some kind of rodent god. And they were, in fact, playing homage to you. Is that how I ended up in the career I ended up in? <laughs> rodent god. I, I had rats as a child, not like lice. They weren't just in my hair. Um, I had them as pets when I was very young. I like rats and mice, but that to me just sounds a nightmare, hands down. I don't like that at all. Not nice. All you could hear was them like doing this on the wall constantly. It was awful. Ooh. I hated it. But yeah, that was traumatic. That and phone cancer, that was the last fear that I have on my list. Because everyone was getting mobile phones. This was the year when I think the Nokia 5110 came out with a little aerial. And everyone got them little protectors because they were frightened they're all going to get cancer in the brains and die. So since you're talking, what was scaring you in 1998? Um, much more normal things because I didn't have a warped <laughs> childhood like Claire did. It wasn't warped, um, it was just specific. Specific, yeah, okay. For me, it was on Apaches. What was terrifying me was probably... We're, they're all film-related, weirdly, or the, the couple that I, I could really think of. The first one was that The Ring came out in 1998, and that just that just scared me. And then it got me back again about, about five years, six years later, when it, I got it on DVD. And the one thing that they don't tell you is, menu screen, is Sadako's eye sort of just leering out of the side of the hair. And what they don't tell you is, if you keep that menu screen on for long enough, the eyeball starts to move. <laughs> and that's not what you want at 10 o'clock at night when you're on your own because your parents are away. And you think, oh, I'll put a movie on that. I remember scaring me a bit. Wasn't too scary. Oh, I'll just go get the popcorn. And you come back and the eyeball's moving. <laughs> I was watching the news at 10 o'clock at night when my parents were away. Did that scare you in 1995? There was that time Peter Sissons came out of the screen. <laughs> no one remembers that now. <laughs> um, that and, again, the, just the cover of Child's Play 3 that used oh. to sit right, right near, I think it's just things leering, um, right near the children's section of our local Blockbuster video, which is always helpful. Although I was 13 at that point, so I, I probably shouldn't have been getting My Little Pony out anyway. That's... But yeah, it was just there, Chucky's face, just staring at me in my dreams. That and Sadako's eye. <laughs> no. That's what was scaring me in 1998. They weren't the scariest films of 1998. What was scarier? Armageddon. Spice World. <laughs> <laughs> if you go through it, right... Most terrifying movie of the year. In the actual cast, Michael Barrymore and Gary Glitter. Mm. <laughs> that script makes references to Mother Teresa, Gianni Versace and Princess Diana, all who were dead by the time the film came out. <laughs> and obviously, famously, uh, they started filming with Frank Bruno as the, uh, the bus driver for the Spice Bus. 
and he'd been there fresh from hanging out at Broadmoor with the dangly willy killer, Peter Sutcliffe and Jimmy Savile. You know, he asked if his son, also called Frank Bruno, could have his photo taken with the Spice Girls, and they said no, and he got fired. Like now, all right, now that you've, yes. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm on your side now. Of course, uh, Nice 98, uh, something that was going me was the internet, because we didn't have it, but I did stay up and watch Killernet on Channel 4, and um, I got very agitated that I would suffer the fate of, not of Tam Williams' character, that um, I'd start playing a violent RPG on a CD-ROM and then get framed for murdering my girlfriend, but I would suffer the fate of the actual Tam Williams and never act again. <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, John, indeed, you haven't acted since then, have you? So, so you have suffered the same fate as Tam Williams. Some, some would say there's an element of kayfabe going on. <laughs> I've written for what I was scared of in 1998, uh, girls. <laughs> Generally <laughs> girls. Yes. In 1998, I went to my first festival. Uh, it was V98 at Leeds. This was before Leeds was Leeds. Spot review. Dandy Warhols was shite. Keris from Catatonia drank wine by the pint, and I'm still impressed. But on one of the nights, uh, me and my mate got talking to a couple of girls, and one of them uh, asked me if I wanted to go for a walk with her. And I realised that walk was a euphemism. In about 2005. <laughs> oh, John. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Laura, I hope you enjoyed that awkward walk around a deserted festival site all the time. Oh my! Is he not even going to try? First, in a longish line of similar events, which ended up with me thinking to myself, "I don't know why she's invited me in for coffee if she's just going to make instant." <laughs> <laughs> but on the plus side, John, all of this has now pushed us up to number six in the therapy <laughs> podcast charts. So. With Claudia Winkleman, we're coming for you. <laughs> I always do mean to, to say something like when I drop the character and go, we really are so tremendously grateful for, for all of you out there who listen to this. Because like on average, I think people only listen to about five or six podcasts and like five of those are famous people telling each other how great they are. And the other one is Fern Cotton or Claudia Winkerman tries their hand at clinical psychotherapy. So thank you so much for making us one of yours. It does mean a lot. I know I have an insincere voice, but it makes me very happy in my old age. Oh, bless you. 38. Does anyone else have anything that was uh, scaring them in 1998? I mean, other than just the general existential dread that yeah. uh, pervades my life, on a day-to-day -day level and being 13 at that time probably more so then especially because you know it was about the time that you were watching things like Dawson's Creek and Buffy and oh, getting yeah. emotions and stuff like that so yeah I don't think I developed emotions until I was an adult mm. dead inside I think I'd lost all of my emotions when I became an adult except for anger I've still got anger all the rage that was a good joke that deserved more Claire I hope you're laughing at home, audience. Thanks. John's probably going to cut it out, so they'll probably not even oh, get yeah, the benefit no, John, of it. John does. That's what behind the curtain here, guys. He's going to cut this out as well, but John cuts out all of our best jokes just to make him sound better because he's written his script. Coming up in series two, by the way, listeners, are the first episodes with scripts written by Claire and Gareth. So just wait. We'll go all the way down to number 60 out of 60. Oh, God, yes. Bring on oblivion. The ride at Alton Towers. Yes. 
the song by Terrorvision. <laughs> do up, ba ba up. That's Anson. That's Oombop. That's <laughs> Hello, I'm Concert's premier Ellie Kemper impersonator, and I'm here to read the disclaimer. Everyone Dies in Sunderland explores some of the darkest moments of Northeast history and includes jokes. These jokes will never be at the expense of victims or their families and will always be at the expense of people who deserve to be mocked, robbed of their power and shown up for the idiots they really are. If you're easily offended or personally connected to the events we're discussing though, you probably shouldn't listen. In case you're wondering, people didn't find 20 quid in their crisps because the staff at Walker's in Peterlee were nicking them. Really? Yeah. <laughs> that is Northeast True Crime of the 90s, which we might come back to in Series 2. But we don't want the whole show to be about crisps tonight. Or yoghurt. <laughs> this is a story I sort of remember happening. In this case, while I was watching France 98, and it came back to me during the Euros, which was something like, that guy who got killed in his office in Gateshead during the 1998 World Cup semi-final, did they ever find out what happened there? Honestly, I couldn't find out much about it. So I invested in a back issue of this, which is Master Detective magazine. That is genuinely what my mum used to buy. I'm almost certain she will have had that copy. What, what year is it dated? Wasted four quid, Gareth. You could have told me. <laughs> If you don't personally subscribe to this particular publication, you know those weekly magazines at supermarket checkouts that have headlines like, Meal Deal, I swapped my baby for a bowl of pasta. Or, (laughs) I turned my dead hubby into tea bags. Or, my personal favourite, I had phone sex with a chicken. Uh, It's like that, except with actual pictures of actual corpses um, accompanying stories like, The Newlyweds Who Lost Their Heads. And... Too Fat to Fry. That's the story of a botched execution. I didn't read complete with pictures. No one needs to see. It's nice to know they're not being glib about it, though, because who would ever be glib about uh, true crime and murders? So you say that, um, but I will say, for all our snark, I'm comfortable that we are some way from the exploitative and tawdry end of the true crime market. Uh, In that marketplace, I see us as artisan cheese, and they are five lighters for a pound. Um, anyway, as a result, you know the 80s, 90s cliches about the magazines on top of your dad's wardrobe. Uh, in my kids' case, those magazines are research for my podcast. <laughs> but I will say, though, the letters page is quite good. Uh, C. Davis of Western Supermare writes, I'm not convinced that Scots-born Joanna Finley attempted to murder her paedophile spouse in their American home. Evil secret in husband's computer, July. After all, she liked to adopt stray animals. C. Davis of Western Supermare is the master detective, if you ask me. Terry McCarthy of Cape Town takes the time to write. With reference to your letter from reader S.R. Thomas, <laughs> commenced September, in connection with the publishing of your book in the Kindle electronic format, I, for one, would not be interested in this. The colourful colours, the shape and size, the feel of the glossy pages... The pictures all come to life, and I cannot wait to go to bed. He was born in New Zealand. <laughs> well, South Africa, New Zealand, very similar. 
Yes, you've got to admire Terry's tenacity, though, don't you? Uh, but even Terry might struggle to get excited about um, a story which, in a publication riddled with sensationalism and squalor, and aimed squarely, as we heard in that letter, from people who can't wait to retire to the bedroom as soon as they get their hands on the latest copy, they've headlined this story, The Gateshead Furniture Factory Mystery. Now, wow. I- I'm not going to try and have my cake and eat it, even though that is the literal point of cake by complaining that the headline isn't sensationalist enough, especially when it's about someone's actual death. But it does kind of sound like one of the later famous fives when Edith Blyton didn't give a shit anymore. But they do try and sex it up a little bit with the picture captions, uh, one which accompanies a picture of a door and reads, Did the killer enter through this door? For God's sake. Possibly. (laughs) So, um, by a little after 5pm on July the 8th, 1998, the night, as every story about this um, particular story will say, the night of Croatia versus France in the World Cup semi-final, most of the staff at Cascade Upholstery on the Stonegate Industrial Estate in Felling in Gateshead had gone home. But their manager, Stephen Sweeney, had not. Stephen was 45 years old and the father of a seven-year-old daughter, and he lived in heaven with his partner, Um, referred to in all the contemporary articles in terms of obsolete things as his common-law wife, which is what they used to be called in those days, didn't they? But no one uses it now. Much like confirmed bachelor. No, they just say he's gay. He never married. Yes. Anyway, uh, Stephen was born in New Brantsburg uh, in Durham and went to school in Ushaw Moor, where a friend remembers him as quite feisty, but with a great sense of humour. He would come round and translate our Wiedersehen pet for us. Don't know if that's the German or the Geordie. But it's fair to say that the business was not doing well. A month earlier, Stephen had stepped down as a director and become manager, which was probably a way of protecting his own assets in the event of the business going under. Staff didn't know that, but they did know that they were already on reduced hours. Turnover was about a million pounds a year, but the firm owed £25,000 in VAT, had debts to creditors in excess of about £70,000, and once the wages had been paid, there was only £200 left in the firm's current account. So Stephen's partner might have expected him to be working late in the circumstances, but by 8.30, she was getting worried. So uh, she put their daughter in the car and drove to the factory where she found him slumped over his desk. She thought he'd had a heart attack, But it turned out he'd been shot several times at point-blank range, probably not long after the staff had left for the day. So, no sign of a struggle or a break-in. Nothing had been taken. There was a security guard on duty, but they saw or heard nothing. There was CCTV at the site, but no sign of the gunman was recorded. And in the words of every article written about this, once they'd mentioned the common-law wife and the France versus Croatia World Cup semi-final, all the hallmarks of a professional hit. So Northumbrian police had to bring in their best man, DS George Dobson, and he quickly had a brainwave. Quite a few double-decker buses use that route. Passengers have a very good view of the grounds. We asked them if they noticed anything. DS Dobson, was this a worthwhile exercise? It was an extremely worthwhile exercise. (laughs) 600 bus passengers, with a preference for the top deck, were interviewed. Still nothing. Dobson had done some extensive research into Stephen's background. This is what he had to say. We've heard nothing detrimental about him. He was a man of previous good character. 
Cascade Furniture reopens just four days after the murder. This story is written by Edward Hunter, and he writes, It had been in serious financial difficulty prior to the murder, and when the factory reopened, orders didn't improve. I know, you'd think with all the publicity they got with the owner of the factory being murdered in the factory, that all those poof and ottoman sales would have gone through the roof. Ottoman, that's something else you don't see these days. Sadly, the business did not survive past the August of that year. And it's by this time, uh, DCI Jim Rowley had taken over the case. And in February 2000, police carried out a series of dawn raids across South Tyneside, and four people were arrested on the suspicion of Stephen's murder. And four days later, they were charged with conspiracy to import and supply cannabis. (laughs) Okay. As the Evening Chronicle writes, four years later, Stephen was exposed as a member of an international drugs trafficking gang during a Crown Court case. The court heard that he'd been using his upholstery firm to launder drugs money. Two bundles of cash totaling £6,500 were found in Sweeney's safe by detectives investigating the murder. They would go on to link him to a cannabis ring based in Spain. The investigations into Stephen's death also led to a man being sentenced to three years in prison for arson. So, Gareth, do you just want to do uh, D.S. Dobson's quote again? We've heard nothing detrimental about him. He was a man of previous good character. 9,000 people have been interviewed as part of the investigation, but no one has ever been charged with Stephen's murder. And 23 years on, the crime remains unsolved. Sorry, John. No, this isn't... 9,000 people? I How many people are usually like questioned in a, in a murder? 9,000? That's madness. I know. And who are you questioning? Well, pretty much everybody just took a stone out the frigging police station, hit someone and drag them in. Might as well. There was nobody there, so why were they questioning so many bloody people? Because no one knew anything. They probably tried the people on the lower deck of the bus. <laughs> what would you do, by the way, if you were on the bus and you saw um, a, a gangland hit happening out the window? Would you ring the bell? <laughs> Whatever I did, I'd be sure to thank the driver. <laughs> And the best way of thanking your driver is by wearing a goddamn mask. (laughs) Speaking in 2005, Stephen's mother, Doreen, said, People say to me, you must be over it by now. God. Yeah, it was like seven years ago, Doreen. Jesus. (laughs) It's one of my favourite quotes from the comedian Michael Legg, who's a brilliant, brilliant uh, comic. But he did a whole show about um, how his greyhound jerk died. And he, he loved that dog. And he said... One of the things that people say to me is, just as soon as it happens, they say to you, oh, are you going to get another dog? And I turn to them and say, I don't know. Are you going to get another mum? And it's like, that is true, as Claire will attest with Oliver, dog carnage. Yep. The difference is she just kept getting the dogs and killing them and getting them and killing them, getting them and killing them. And well, the, when the bloodlust yeah. wasn't too much, she just had to shake it up by getting an electronic dog and then a Furby. And they're both dead now. Both dead. All, all of the things are dead. Yeah, it's, it's something slightly similar. I briefly had a conversation with my GP uh, about a vasectomy, and we were asked the question, um, how would you feel if one of your children died? To which the answer, I think, is not horny. <laughs> <laughs> what? What response are they? I'm frankly delighted, to be honest. What are they expecting? I don't know. 
But whatever Stephen was up to, it's important to remember that his death uh, left a seven-year-old girl without a dad, and now a woman in her mid-twenties still doesn't know why. So if you do know anything about this, um, we will put the relevant contact details in the show notes. And that's genuinely for my four pounds of investment in a 4,000 word article in Master Detective magazine, all I have found about this very mysterious case. And if Master Detective magazine want to sponsor us so John can claw back some of that four pounds he's spent on a previous edition, then feel feel free. I would say that I think it's Lawrence from Master Detective magazine. Um, it didn't arrive for a long time. Um, and they, it, apparently uh, it went back to um, their back issue distribution centre and said there was no such address. And Lawrence from... Uh, uh, Master Detective Magazine, who I've sort of dunked on their publication for being a load of old shit, um, was very nice and offered to uh, send me a copy of the latest edition with this issue to say sorry for the delay. But I said no, because it's a pile of old shit. <laughs> Genuinely one of the rudest people I've ever met. I didn't, I didn't put it in that exact phrase. I said, I said I, I'm buying this for research of a specific crime and unless there's a follow-up I don't know about, that won't be necessary. I'm buying this to take to bed. Like to Terry to bed. of New Zealand, now living yeah. in South Africa. Tick to bed. Lovely glossy pages straight to my bed as soon as it comes into my house. Anyway, it brings us to um, our cleansing uh, rabbit hole corner, which is uh, places on the internet that you found yourself this week while researching this story, which have nothing to do with this story. You have you got a rabbit hole, Connor yeah. Claire? Um, n- not one that I can reveal at this point because a lot of my stuff that I've been doing has been related to a future episode that will come around. We talked about in the group chat, because this is like at the end of our season, we need to somehow come up with a cliffhanger and like end the show with like, what's that? <laughs> or no or something like that to keep people coming back even if it's really artificial like uh what i've said is it spearhead from space where uh john pertwee just puts something around his neck just so he can fight it a bit and then just leave it to one side i think it also happens in genesis of the daleks like we we need a cliffhanger at this point you're just gonna have to try and strangle yourself with a prop yeah we should end it how yeah. we started it and just leave them on the cliffhanger of finding out if the guy that i'm seeing did he get his dick wet that's a good, that's a good, that's a good one. Um, right, John. John, start your rabbit hole corner spiel again. I've got this. <laughs> He's got this. I'm keeping this in. Which takes us to our palate cleansing rabbit hole corner. Um, what did you come across on the internet? That sounded wrong. While researching this episode, like Terry McCarthy, what did he come across while on the internet <laughs> while researching this particular episode? <laughs> What did you come across on the internet while researching this episode, which has nothing to do with this episode? The one thing that I found, and again, it relates back to our group chat, that uh, our very own Claire, my ovaries don't work, Robinson, was on a date the other day with a real-life human person. I don't presume to um, guess their gender. how how Gareth gets about his favourite shows. Now, it's canon that Claire dies alone. We can't have this deviation from the established characters. We need a new writer. So, Claire, how did that date go that meant that you couldn't do a recording, you selfish cow? I'm so sorry. The date went really well, though. I did axe throwing and I had a lovely time. At him? Not at him. 
with him, with him. I think fundamentally, though, Claire, the question that is on all of our minds and lips. Did he get his dick wet? You don't have to answer that. I didn't save the woman from the New Seekers, but I can save Claire. I have no words. We'll find out in season two. I can't wait that long. (laughs) There'll be speculation on the internet. There'll be fan theories that are better than the actual reality. It's like people trying to find out who it is. But yeah, I'll reveal all on the first episode back. Promise. So, John, what's your rabbit hole corner? A slight trouble I had for this episode is I kept getting sidetracked uh, watching videos of Sue Sweeney on YouTube. If you don't know who Sue Sweeney is, I had the pleasure of working with her during my inglorious days at BBC Radio Newcastle. We never crossed paths, actually, because she was in at the weekends. But as a Example of how well thought of she was, her nickname uh, was Shih Tzu. <laughs> I mean, I think that's harsh because I've got this uh, quality piece of content from the advert for one of her DVDs, which obviously Claire has no use for. Sue Sweeney, the diva of Durham. No, I got the new Geordie sat nav. Do you know why? Because it's nice. Howie! Howie! Tuck a right! Tuck a left! When you think about it, if you gave um, a sat-nav um, a northeast accent, um, your sat-nav would have a northeast accent. I mean, did I hear people laughing? I'm surprised. They found it funny. Weirdly enough, my first ever tweet, um, I know it's tradition to say, just seeing how this Twitter works as your first tweet. My first ever tweet was about being cut up by Sue Sweeney on the A1. And you're like, how do you know it was Sue Sweeney? It's because her car was plastered with the classic, Sue Sweeney drives a Ford Mondeo from unnecessarily high-pressure sales of Burtley. So she literally cut me up on the A1 with her name emblazoned across her car. (laughs) Uh, My particular uh, favourite Sue story, (laughs) a Sue Sweeney memory, was I can't ever do it justice. I was once listening to her do um, a live outside broadcast from the Great North Run. She was just chatting to someone while they were jogging and they were joking to each other. So they're both kind of slightly out of breath. And it was like, I'm running for today in memory of my mum. And Sue Sweeney went, was it cancer? <laughs> was it? I don't, I don't remember. No. A concert's premier Ellie Kemper impersonator also has a story about Sue Sweeney. I can just stop you there. I think that that, in our final episode of this series... The final time you're ever going to utter that is the only time you have said it correctly. I've been practicing. I'll tweet a picture of this. If you go onto our Netflix now, um, you know, you can have like a, a profile picture of Netflix related ephemera. She has now changed hers to Ellie Kemper. It's a very nice, it's a very nice little, little callback to her role in this podcast. I will I'll tweet a picture about it. It's adorable. Our son has also changed his to a calm later spats from a series of unfortunate events, which is uncanny. <laughs> anyway, I was being beastly um, about Sue Sweeney. Not everything she does is terrible. Uh, this is perhaps the greatest minute of radio that I've ever heard. If you recognise my voice, you win a CD. 
just for being a listener to BBC Radio Newcastle. I hope they're in. I hope they're in. <gasps> I hope they're in. Come on, pick up, pick Hello. up. Oh, good morning. Did you know it's six minutes to ten? Hello? Hello? You thought I was the speaking clock, didn't you? I don't know who you are. Well, don't you recognise the voice if I said, and a very good morning and welcome, welcome to the show. Guess who you are? Yes. Can you guess, Jane? Pardon? What do you normally do on a Saturday morning? Very little. So maybe you listen to some kind of radio or... Well, I like classic FM. Don't you listen to BBC Radio Newcastle? No, I used to do. Oh! <laughs> I'm sorry. It's hot, right? Do you know this is the very first time it's ever happened to me, Jane? Oh? Shall I tell you who I am? Go on, then. I'm Sue Sweeney. Who? Sue Sweeney. <laughs> Never heard of you. From BBC Radio Newcastle. Never heard of you. <laughs> oh. Oh, that's painful. Oh, my God. Yeah. This is the first time this has happened to me, is what I said to that girl at B98 as well. <laughs> anyway, oh I, I don't think we can improve on that. We'll, we'll have that as, as the cliffhanger, if I can't make the editing work. So the bit we've already recorded is the cliffhanger coming back for Series 2, is what's concert's premier Eddie Kemper impersonator's Sue Sweeney story? Like we said, we'll be back September with t-shirts, suntans, and stories from her summer holidays. Claire's going to Aberdeen, which is a place. It's going to be a place, and it's going to be a time, and it's probably going to piss it down, but it's fine. I'm going to go to uh, Norfolk, so that's nice. So I might see Ian from our fan base. We should say hi. an arrangement, shouldn't we? Say hi. And that's all until we return with series two it's going to be really exciting uh, we're really excited about all the things we're going to talk about uh, gareth's going to talk about murdering sex workers uh, claire's <laughs> going to talk about supernatural monsters haunting the dale i'm always about terrorism it's going to be great you're going to love it so stay with us and if there's one thing you can do while we're gone if you like this stuff um, just tell one other person to check us out because if anyone who listens does that our audience doubles we can do more stuff it'll be awesome in the meantime, details about tonight's show can be found on Teletext page 618. Do sleep well. Don't have nightmares. We're out.